This is Sarah Capisi from the International Hub team. Last week, we kicked off season two with a discussion of learning in different countries. I'm here with Madison Bircher, who is part of our research team and helped to formulate these episodes. Madison, could you tell me a little bit about your research? Yeah, so I've had a really awesome time the past couple months. We've been looking at Erin Meyer, her eight scales on the culture map. And so the two that we wanted to talk about today are persuasion and scheduling. And persuasion has to do with principles first versus applications first reasoning. And scheduling, it has to do with linear time versus flexible time. Okay, so persuasion. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means? The persuasion scale, it relates to whether people are motivated by a principles first or an applications first approach. My niece is a great example of a principles first learner. She always is asking questions like, why do I have to wear shoes to go outside? Or why are you putting paper at the bottom of the fire? She wants to understand the root of each action. And this is exactly what a principles first approach is like. Aaron Meyer says that principles first learners have been trained to first develop the theory or complex concept before presenting a fact, statement, or opinion. The preference is to begin a message or report by building up a theoretical argument before moving on to a conclusion. So the conceptual principles underlying each situation are really valued. Okay, so why does this matter in business? You know, this, this scale can be easily applied to any kind of business activity, right? So if you want to motivate your employees, you want to think about, oh, do they need to know the why of this action first? Or will, are they able to just jump in and do exactly what I'm asking? So, for example, if you wanted to get historical sales data collected from all of the regions in the world, um, in the U.S., it would be really easy to just go to one of your employees and say, hey, can can you give me the historical sales data for the last five years in the U.S.? Whereas if you were in Russia, you might change your approach more towards your employee. You might say, hey, I'm looking for sales data over the last five years in Russia because we're trying to target a certain demographic to, to, to sell to, and your information will be really useful to my project. And so by changing that approach and telling your Russian employee why, they're, why you want them to act, they're going to be more motivated to do so. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. I know that as you're researching, we both did interviews with different MBA and MPA students. What are some things that you learned from them? I learned a lot from our MBA and MPA students' interviews. Um, in a Latin America especially, students were taught in a very principles-first-based manner. And so one thing that I really liked, I learned in an interview with Camilla from Colombia, and she said this. So it will be very theoretical. You'll, uh-huh. you know, you'll have to prove the theorems in math, and you'll have to do all this math and like by hand. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, you'll never apply that theorem into in practice. practice. Instead, American education is just practice, get it done, do it, make it happen. <laughs> and so it's very different because you're getting all this knowledge and all these in theory, you know how to do everything, but you have never tried it in the real world. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works in Colombia. In Colombia, I will sit down and go through three or four classes, figuring out how you got to that formula and going over every single step you have to prove to that formula. Okay. And then probably I do it one or two exercises, so that's it. 
you get so much theory under your, you know, under your head, but like not that much practice. Mm-hmm. So people here like motor fix a car or do, you know, like wood shop or something like that that is uh-huh. more technical. Yeah. Um down there like I know what Socrates said. That's not going to give me money after high school. So, like Camila demonstrated in Colombia, principles-based learners, they want to know why first and they prefer using basic concepts to come up with conclusions. In contrast, application-based learners, they want to jump in and implement a solution. Aaron Meyer says that those who prefer applications first are trained to begin with a fact statement or opinion and then later add the concepts to back up or explain the conclusion. Many students that we interviewed, they also explained this transition from one style to another. Felipe, a student from Brazil who recently moved to the U.S. to get his MBA, explained his experience like this. I was introduced to the case method of, of classes here in the U.S. I feel like it is still like very hierarchical in Brazil like in, when, when it comes to a professor talking probably like 80 to 90 percent of the time. So I, ha- I, I can't recall having like a case like uh, class back in Brazil. So when I started the MBA, there's one class, operations, and the professor likes to, I mean, every single class is like case-like. So we always have a case assigned that we have to go through and study prior to class and come up with, I don't know, recommendations, solutions, or whatever the, the case asks you to do. And I remember when I started the MBA, I had no idea how deep I, I, I should, you know, should have studied those cases. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was a little bit like, like a great area for me. I was not 100% sure if I should extensively, extensively study and come up with like spreadsheets or a word document whatever you know i i was not sure so i remember that the the very first case i probably prepared that for like hours i'd say like two to three hours it was and it was uh, a small case just uh i'd say like six to eight pages and during class, I realized that a lot of the things that I had thought were not even mentioned. No one actually brought up anything. I remember one specific case that I was, it was a, a mixture of like frustration and uh, I, I was actually surprised as well. It was a case that we were reading about uh, a manufacturing plant it was actually Toyota and I when I was preparing I thought about just in time because it's you know when you talk about Toyota's manufacturing plant you, you know, it's impossible for you to talk about it without mentioning just in time system and stuff and I remember that I did like some further research just in, just in time, I read more about it, like in different articles and stuff. And then during class, I learned that it is actually possible for you to talk about Toyota's manufacturing plan without even mentioning the word just in time. So no one brought up 
just in time. The professor didn't say anything about it. The students didn't say anything about just in time. In an operations class, I was shocked, you know. <laughs> I even talked to the professor afterwards, man. I was like, yeah, I, I prepared this, and I, I focused so much and, you know, just in time. And when I came to class, we didn't even mention the word just in time. So I don't know if that has to do with the fact that I I'm, I was not used to the to this system of cases in class, a discussion, but yeah, that was definitely like a, some sort of like cultural shock that I had. An important concept that I think it is necessary to reemphasize is that countries lie on different parts of the scale. You must compare your country and its relativity to where others fall on the scale. For example, I've always thought that the U.S. is more application-based than everywhere else. However, I found this not to be true when Tanisha, a student from India, explained her experiences. From all the experiences that I've had so far, I feel like in India, things are very results-driven. You're trying to focus more on the results, but in the U.S., it's more process-driven. Like, how you got there is what matters. It's, it's very two, two very different approaches, and I think that's got a lot to do with culture as well. When you, you're living in a country with, like, 1.2 billion people, right, you've got to focus on results. Like, no one cares about the process. Tanisha sees the U.S. as more principles-based than applications-driven when compared to India, which I thought was really interesting. Now, why is this all important? I think that understanding people come from different cultures and they're motivated in different ways is highly useful. So when working in another country, you could encourage others in ways that are most persuasive to them. You'll understand where your team is coming from when they want to know why to do a certain project. And if you're going from the opposite, from a principles base to an applications base, you'll hopefully learn to appreciate the efficiency of quickly starting a project with little explanation as why you're doing so. Do you have any specific tips for us? Yeah, Erin Meyer, she gives a great list of tips in her book, The Culture Map. And these are to, one, build team awareness by explaining the scale. Two, try to understand and adapt to one another's behaviors. And three, be patient and flexible. Erin Meyer gives a great quote explaining the scale, and it goes as follows. Principles versus applications-based learning refers to the different approaches required to teach and persuade various cultures. A principles-based culture prefers to have the why explained first. Persuasion using overarching principles and high-level reasoning will be most effective. Application-based cultures prefer to root their understanding of specific applications by using specific examples. They will respond best to an example of how the concept works. So earlier you mentioned another scale, scheduling. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, so the scheduling scale deals with linear time versus flexible time. In a linear time, people believe that being on time is very important and that tasks should be performed sequentially, whereas in a flexible time, time is very, um, as it says, flexible and can be uh, fluid. So Myers says that, quote, cultures that are based in linear time view scheduling as inflexible 
deadlines as fixed, tardiness as rude, and agendas as required. People in these cultures often think about budgeting and saving time. On the other hand, those that are considered to run on flexible time treat schedules as malleable, and they may complete tasks on their own time frame. People in these cultures manipulate and stretch scheduling to accomplish their tasks." End quote. Now, I think that recognizing that various cultures perceive time differently and adhere to schedules accordingly can help one navigate the international business environment, right? In places like the US, the UK, and Germany, linear time is valued, whereas in the Middle East, Africa, India, and South America, time is very flexible. And knowing just exactly where countries fall on the scale is um, very useful. So in cultures that maintain linear time, projects are done sequentially. It's important to complete the task at hand before moving on, and punctuality is critical. One U.S. institution that exhibits a strict approach to linear time is the military. So I have a brother who is currently serving in the Army, and he explained one experience he had this way. One of the first things they told us when we went to officer training was, now that you're in the military, to be on time, you have to be there 10 minutes early. And... Mm -hmm. 10 minutes early is on time, not five minutes early, not right at the exact time that was agreed to meet, but 10 minutes early. And so I guess in the military, there's just kind of that expectation that you are going to respect other people's time and that it reflects on your character and your professionalism. So it, it was definitely an adjustment for me to be in the military and to have to be 10 minutes early, not just, you know, five minutes early, which usually would be really good for me, but 10 minutes early. So at my first duty station, I was in uh, Colorado at Fort Carson. It's in Colorado Springs. And my boss was pretty hardcore. People would joke, other people at our clinic would joke and say he was a, his nickname was the sheriff just because he was such a stickler on, you know, the rules and policies and procedures and uh, kind of military traditions. Um, and so anyways, during our orientation for the residency, he gave us a little, you know, he got on his soapbox and talked about how we had to be on time for everything. And so anyways, one of the first couple weeks we were having a lecture um, by the residency program director who uh, was a lieutenant colonel. They had told us we're going to meet at such and such time. And anyways, I was kind of in a rush that morning, but I, I got there and I was actually five minutes early. But <laughs> unlucky for me, I was <laughs> the last person to come into the room, even though I was still five minutes early uh this guy the major my direct boss um he just started to chew me out pretty uh he was pretty angry and he did it in front of everyone that was in there and so it was just really super awkward everyone's just quiet you know trying to avoid eye contact looking at the wall or whatever as this guy just kind of you know very seriously said captain bircher I've said it once and I won't say it again you're supposed to be here 10 minutes early and and so I was you know like five minutes early but I guess technically that means I was five minutes late 
he kind of chewed me out in front of everyone and it was kind of awkward and embarrassing. I think, you know, he just was taking things to the extreme. Now, whereas in Britain's experience, the military demonstrates how the U.S. is really a linear time-based culture. On the other hand, cultures that believe time is flexible approach projects with fluidity. Multiple steps can, in a process can be performed at the same time. Being late is often accepted, and adaptability is really emphasized. Yeah, that's very true. Professor Scott Hobson actually shared a story about his experience working with a flexible time culture in Ghana, and here it is. Um, if there's any miscommunication at all, or, or not necessarily a miscommunication, but cultural difference that, that uh, we had to get used to as we, as we went to Ghana, I'll give you a really specific example. Meeting times are more of a suggestion in Ghana than they are uh, here in the United States. In other words, if we if if uh, we said, okay, we're gonna, well, well, we had one, we had the director of the of the Ghana Make a Difference Children's Shelter was gonna come visit us in Ghana at our hotel, and he said. Uh, we set the appointment. He said, I'll be there around, I think originally it was 10 o'clock in the morning. And 10 o'clock came and went. He wasn't there. 11 o'clock came and went. Uh, we were texting back and forth and yeah, oh yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there soon. And I think he finally arrived at one or two in the afternoon. Uh, and, you know, it's because there were some traffic uh, issues and he had some errands that he had to run on the way and, you know, that kind of thing. So for them, and, and that wasn't the only experience, for them, meeting times are suggestions. And we quickly learned that uh, if we set a meeting for a certain time of day on a day, on a certain day, we needed to be ready to just be patient and wait. Or if we were going to a meeting, uh, you know, traffic is awful and roads are not good. And sometimes it was just unexpected things would happen and we would find ourselves running late. And for us here in the U.S., that would be, oh, you know, we get all stressed out about it. And, oh, we're, we're missing our meeting and the client would be upset and so forth. But there, ah. No, when we get there, nice to see you, and and uh, we're glad you made it. And you know, it's just, it's not uh, culturally, it's not as as intense, I guess, as as it is here in the U.S. Students that we interviewed shared what it's like to transition from a flexible time culture, like say Costa Rica or Brazil, to the U.S., where linear time is valued. David from Costa Rica, he related his experience to us. Punctuality is, is something very hard. And I'd say in Costa Rica where I grew up, arriving late is, is, is very usual. Um, here it's, I mean, people, I mean, people, I think Americans expect that and, and, and they, they do that. I mean, you were on time and, and, and that, that's, that's impressive. Felipe from Brazil said the following. There's like a very strong commitment here to always be on time. 
which is something that I learned after I came to the U.S. Um, and especially at the EOC, it was like, man, you have to be there, you know, at the minute. You can be one second late, <laughs> otherwise they will mark you as, they give you like a, a late mark or something like that. So I learned a lot, you know, about it to just make sure that I'm always on time. And that's definitely not the case in Brazil. Like, again, we're, pr we're pretty relaxed. There's even a, an expression um, in Portuguese at, that says jeitinho uh, brasileiro, which is like the, the Brazilian way to do things. And the Brazilian way to do things sometimes is just like, you know, really, again, really flexible and um, we, do, we don't like to have like a, a strict rule or law governing our lives, you know, we like to be able to be, you know, to have this sort of like leeway, you know, if we, we have to do something and we, we don't have the right tools, we always find a way, like a workaround or something like that. So there are like good things about the GT in Brasileiro, but there are bad things as well. So Felipe mentioned a Brazilian phrase that people use to describe how things are done in Brazil. And we wanted to do a little more research about this, so we recruited one of our team members, Lex Waters, who lived in Brazil for two years, and we asked him to tell us a little bit more about this. So, Lex, tell us, how do you first pronounce the phrase? Good question, and it's a pretty tough one for an American, but if you think about the J in, like, Jean-Claude Van Damme, it's that soft J. It's not like the hard J, so it's J. Chino. So if you think J-A-Y, as in a blue J, but not as sharp, it's kind of J-Chino. J-Chino. Got it. <laughs> so that's how you say it. And basically what this means is craftiness. Brazilians sort of pride themselves on being able to encounter a complex problem and immediately think of a way to resolve it. They're basically the people you want to call first if you have a big piece of furniture that you need to move out of your house. They're going to look at it and think quickly, how can I slide this thing out of here? How can we angle this? What contraption can we kind of set up to get this furniture out? And it's a contagious mindset. Um, when I was there, I found myself saying that all the time. You would say, you know, I will give this a jeitinho is the English translation of it, and I didn't really know what that meant, but it basically means, don't worry about it, it's going to happen. It's sort of like you have like an Italian mobster uncle who's like, hey kid, here's $50, don't worry about where it came from. You know, like he gave a jeitinho to get that money. Um, and I was talking to one of my Brazilian friends this morning, and I said, you know, what do people think about it? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And he said that it started off being a really good thing. His parents and his grandparents think it's this ingenuity that they have. And in fact, he said there's this national inside joke that they always say NASA needs to study the Brazilian people because they're so, you know, they think of things quickly and they solve problems. Um, but he said that now in 2018, it's become sort of a negative word because a lot of the news stations have used it to refer to political craftiness and kind of getting over some of the red tape and some of the finicky things that the law requires. 
Um, and some examples that I saw there um, on a micro level is this. This is a negative way, is children love to fly kites there. Like You will go to a park and just see hundreds of kites. But what happens is kids want other people's kites too, so they have kite battles where they try to knock each other's kites down. Well, here's an example of children using jiu They'll take a kite and they will break a bunch of glass bottles and they will braid into the glass strings or in, they they will braid the glass into the strings so that way if they run their kite string on another one it just cuts it right off and they chase the kite down so they're very smart very sharp people so that's a bad example on a very small level now on a big level for anyone who is familiar with law or business there are tons of nuanced rules and regulations and regulations is really where you start to hope people don't use you. As we know, when you have any kind of regulation, you're supposed to follow it to a T. But it's kind of like, hey, we need you to do this report by tomorrow. And you say, okay, I'll give it a you, And you find someone else's and copy and paste it. So it's sort of, it can be a very negative type of shortcut. Like, I'm going to temporarily solve this problem as quickly as I can and, you know, then the problem solved. Mm-hmm. So that's the uh, that's the best way I could describe it from an American point of view. A good example of Jay Chinyu that I saw on a micro level, um, I moved into a house and we didn't have access to a gym to work out. But one of the people who lived there, he had created his own set of weights. This was, this was obviously a native guy from down there. He had reinforced broomsticks and picked up little metal pipes from the recycling areas and he had attached to them um, empty paint containers filled with cement and made his own set of weights and I was like wow you guys are geniuses you know and the last thing that I wanted to compare it to is it's kind of like if you've ever had a customer service job or a sales job and you have no idea what to say the customer is very upset or you don't know how to close the sale you want to call someone in who has that you that they'll just come in, and if it's a customer service thing, they'll defuse the situation. You don't know how. You don't know what they're going to say. They'll pull something out of nowhere, and they'll just get it solved. Same thing with sales. You can't close the deal. You can't come to any kind of resolution. You want to call someone with this type of skill set who's going to be like, hey, man, close the deal. Don't worry about how it happened, but it's done. So that's the best way that I could put it into terms that we might recognize. That's awesome. That's very insightful. Thank you so much. No problem. Having a knowledge about where people fall on the scale of scheduling can help us when we're working in other countries or even when we're working with diverse groups in the U.S. The scheduling preferences of certain cultures can affect many business activities. For example, people in linear-based cultures often have business meetings with an agenda. Discussion should follow an outline that is clear. However, in flexible-based cultures, there's no emphasis on, a, on following an outline. Business meetings are very fluid. If someone believes a more important matter has arisen during the meeting, it will often be discussed. It won't be pushed off. Thanks, Madison, for sharing your thoughts. Could you give us just a brief summary of everything that we've talked about? Yeah, there are two culture map scales that you can use to increase your workplace activity. And these are persuasion and scheduling. Before your next workplace meeting, your social outing, or get-together, You should consider whether those around you are motivated by principles or applications and whether they value linear or flexible time, and then use this to your advantage. 
Thanks for listening. Have a good week and join us next week as we discuss two more of Aaron Meyer's culture map skills, leading and trusting. For more information about global business and culture, visit www.internationalhub.org and be sure to subscribe to our podcast.